Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Today I'm talking to Imogen Jackson, who is a horticultural therapist at Horatio's Garden. Hello Imogen. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. So can you tell me a little bit about your role as horticultural therapist with Horatio's Garden? Yeah, so Horatio's Garden build and maintain beautiful gardens for spinal injury patients within NHS uh, hospitals. So it's alongside the spinal injury units across the country. The aim is to have one for every site, every spinal injury centre. And the one I work at is the, the fourth of those gardens. And so my role as a horticultural therapist is to encourage patients outside, which often isn't difficult at all because after being stuck inside, they've often been in hospital for weeks on end. So when they get a chance to come out in the garden, usually they're so happy to be able to come outside. And the garden's absolutely stunning. They're able to come out in their their beds as well as their wheelchairs. So it's kind of enabling that in the first step. And then taking that a little bit further as a, as a therapist, sort of encouraging and nurturing that connectedness with nature, so taking it one step further. I do group sessions and one-to-one sessions with patients. So I do gardening groups, which are really good for various aspects. So within the gardens here, they're good for developing sort of fine motor control. They can be used for improving balance, uh, all sorts of different physical attributes that are important, so stretching and different use of our, your arms and so on, but also mental mental well-being. So I run mindfulness in, in nature sessions as well. And the, the social aspect is is as important as the the horticulture side, if you like. So as much as possible, we do we do it as groups. Do you work closely with the head gardener on one side, on the kind of horticultural side? And on the other side, do you work with the medical team? I am the head gardener as well here. (laughs) Well, that explains it then. That's great. So you are a head gardener and a horticultural therapist rolled in one. Is that usual? Uh, It varies. So because I'm trained as a horticultural therapist, I I incorporate both roles. It's not the case in in all the gardens. It varies a little. I am in charge of maintaining the garden with a fantastic team of volunteers. I couldn't do it without them, Uh, as well as working uh, with the therapy team. So, yeah, I do. I work closely with the the hospital. So I work with the physiotherapists and the occupational therapists and the psychology team as well. So I get referrals from all of them. And, and then, yeah, so I'm working towards goals that have been set within those within those groups. Could you tell us about your garden then and the, the garden that you, you're responsible for and, and run the therapy sessions in? It wraps around two sides of the ward. So patients in this garden, they are luckily they're on the ground floor. So many of the bays open directly out into the garden. So it's kind of like a bit of a T shape, but like a capital T shape, if you like. And the First section we have, if I talk you through as if we're walking through the main gate, we've got a series of raised beds. So the garden was designed by Bunny Guinness and it's absolutely stunning. So we've got a series of raised beds that are available for patients to work on. So as much as possible, I work with them to determine what goes in there. We grow a lot of edible plants, things like strawberries and tomatoes, but also a lot of scented plants. We've got scented geraniums and lots of different thymes. 
and things like that. But are, are there plants that are sort of got other sensory, um, particularly, you know, nice feel to the plants and so on. So we've got base, base beds in the first section. We have a fabulous griffin greenhouse, uh, again, with benches at the height suitable for patients to be working on. So it's all automated doors and they come in there and they might work on cuttings or watering seeds that they've sown. At the moment, there's our, uh, we've got kumquats and lemon trees in there as well. So when they're flowering, it's, it smells fantastic. So then we, a little bit further down, there's what I call a, the woodland walk. So there's a little walk in amongst river birches and there's a, a rill. So all of the gardens have got a water feature in there because water, obviously running water is so calming and patients love to come and sit outside next to that. And they're always filled with goldfinches as well. So it's a, a really beautiful area. In the summer, it's it's full of bees and butterflies. The whole garden's planted up to be good for, for wildlife and, and, and all the gardens are. Then um, there's an area with three separate bays. So the whole idea of the garden is that there's areas that are really good for patients to come together and celebrate life. And we put on events and activities. So we have live music, summer fair and Christmas fairs, anything that we can celebrate, we celebrate to make it as fun for patients as possible. And the ward here, the staff on the ward were, um, are an amazing team and they've always done that. So we've just sort of expanded that and made that a little bit more possible for them, given them a bit more space. And then there's other sections of the garden that are there for a bit of peace and privacy. So obviously patients are going through quite a traumatic time, should we say, life-changing injuries that they've got to deal with. So they need somewhere for some privacy, somewhere they can come to terms with, with the changes that are going to happen and deal with grief, but also come together with friends and family, somewhere beautiful to be instead of just gathering around the bedside with, you know, your nearest and dearest and you've got all that you know, the whole clinical environment, the hustle and bustle and the, the bedpans and everything like that. It's somewhere beautiful to be. So then we've got a long avenue, um, again, planted up with beautiful. There's all Olivia Rose up there and lots of Napita. Uh, there's lots of Abena bonariensis. Again, it's all wide enough for beds and absolutely smooth. So it's as easy as possible for people who are just coming, learning to use their wheelchairs. At the top, there's a magnificent magnolia tree that's obviously been plant, been there for a very long time. And that area has been made into um, a children's play area and wheelchair training skills. So whereas the rest of the garden is absolutely smooth and easy to navigate, that section intentionally has dips and bumps and camber and then curbs at the far end so that patients can, uh, can learn how to use their wheelchairs We've got play equipment up there because, again, if you can imagine you've just had a spinal injury and you maybe have children coming to visit you, there's not much more dull than sitting around in a, a hospital bed. So having somewhere that's actually fun to be. It's been really lovely having um, patients saying about how the, the children actually look forward to coming to visit them, which I don't think would ever have happened before. Obviously, they want to see their nearest and dearest, but to be somewhere that's beautiful and lovely and fun makes so much difference. People who see the space now are absolutely amazed at how big it looks. So before this garden was here there was a scrappy little bit of grass 
it was open to the pavement at the front. There were some nice trees that had been planted up by staff. There's some lovely sorbosaria and white bean. And it was just open to the path and people, pedestrians walking past and they would used to stare in as they'd go by. Um, there was a tiny bit of patio, so they would sometimes get outside to do a bit of physio or maybe have a barbecue or something. And up the avenue, I think, was planted, I think it was planted quite nicely with some shrubs and so on, which was maintained by volunteers there. But everyone who sees it is amazed at how big it looks. And I have to say myself, when I came up for my interview, uh, I looked through what was at that point a fence and thought, oh, it's tiny. And then when I came for the actual to start, it's like, blimey, it looks huge now. So it's an amazing use of space. So you just said that when you came for, for interview, so how, you know, how involved were you with, with the with the construction or did you come in at the end when it was, was it opened? I came in um, towards the end, well, it was sort of in mid construction actually. So amazing to watch it being built. All the trees had gone in and the larger part of the planting was already in, but there were hundreds and hundreds of pots of plants that I had to keep moving around the garden to try and keep them out of the way of the contractors who were trying to lay their paths. I don't know if you remember summer 2019, it was so, so hot and dry. And I've got all these plants. I was desperately trying to keep watered and constantly dunking them in buckets to keep them soaked and I was being told you've got the only place you can put them is right there which was in full sun all day and trying to maintain them and look after them you know seven days a week was was really quite challenging at that point so yeah but it was it was amazing watching it being built so there's a fantastic garden room uh, which I also didn't mention so this is space kind of opposite where the greenhouse is. There's this big garden room which has great big glass doors and windows all, all around sort of floor to ceiling glass so that you can be in there even when the weather's not nice and still feel like you're out in, you know, as part of nature. So what do all the patients think? Do you, do you get feedback from them? Did, did you get feedback during the build as well? Were they, were they involved in that? Because I expect they're, they're long-term patients as well. They're there for quite a chunk of time. At the time during the build, originally they had all their windows sort of blacked out so that you know, the builders didn't weren't looking in and they had some privacy. But actually they asked for those to be torn down because when you're stuck in a room, and I think people are starting to appreciate this, any sort of any activity that's going on outside is is of interest. And especially when you've got an amazing garden being built for you, they just wanted to be there and, and able to watch it. And by the time the garden opened, they were desperate to get outside. And the day that we opened was probably the most moving, maybe apart from my children being born, day of my <laughs> of, uh, of my life. The patients were in tears, the staff were in tears. And I get that the, yeah, the feedback I get all the time is just so lovely, so much gratitude. Um, people are even at the point where they don't want to go home because they, they love being in the garden so much. And the staff, the other thing I haven't mentioned is how important it is for the staff. So it is also here for the NHS staff. Looking after people with spinal injuries is um, a huge job. Uh, it's very, very tiring and, and, and taxing. And, and the staff here are just amazing. And so being able to provide somewhere where they can just take a breather every now and then, come outside. And even if it's five minutes, it sort of resets that 
sort of emotional levels. And especially, I think, during COVID, it has just been amazing. It's made the world a difference to people. So talking about the, the COVID-19 situation, how has that affected you and how you and, and your work with, with, with the garden and in the garden with, with the patients? So I've been working throughout. Uh, the, the ward manager said that she very much considers the garden to be an extension, a part of the, the, the clinical area, if you like. And so to, the patients to be able to come outside was absolutely vital for their mental well-being. And actually, as it turned out, the, the physical as well, because without having this space to be practicing their wheelchair skills, they would have been they, they would have been coming in and going out without learning, having anywhere to go in their wheelchairs. They'd have had no opportunity to learn how to how to manage being in a wheelchair. I wasn't able to have many of my volunteers. So I've usually got a team of 30 volunteers. Part of their role is to go onto the wards, to interact with patients, to bring them out, to chat with them, to make cake for them. And for a while, I had no volunteers at all. Um, slowly, a few have been allowed back. So I've kind of got one a day that can come early morning, no patient interaction at all, but just to maintain the garden. That became quite challenging, maintaining you know, a fairly large garden by myself when I'd, I'd had a lot of help from some very talented gardeners throughout before. So the staff and the patients really chipped in. And I think that, again, benefited their mental well-being. So I even had the clinical lead consultant here out watering tomatoes, the ward manager uh, regularly coming out watering plants. And they're not gardeners, but they really got so much out of sort of growing tomatoes. They maintained the little seedlings that I had I think watching them, those growing and having that sort of interaction and that engagement with the plants made, made so much difference to those in those early, really difficult times. And the fact that patients were able to come outside and they, they seemed to build a really good rapport with each other because of the not having visitors allowed. They sort of interacted better with each other and the staff put on, uh, what did we have? We had um, sports day. We had a, a VE day celebration. We put on a midsummer's event where we had a lovely local bagpiper came. He wasn't allowed in the garden, so he stood in the street and bagpiped. The staff acted out a scene from Midsummer Night's Dream, and the donkey over the road managed to eeyore at exactly the right moment. <laughs> so it's been challenging, but it's really interesting and again really moving. I'm very, very lucky to have been able to work throughout. So Imogen, how did you get to this role? How, how did you come to become a horticultural therapist and head gardener? Okay, so a bit of a long-winded story, I think. <laughs> I've always loved being outside. I've always engaged with nature. My first house, until I was six years old, we lived in Croydon. But at the top, we had quite a large garden. The top of the garden was filled with bracken. And then we had a wooden fence and the other side of that was a woodland. I used to spend, I remember spending a lot of time over there with my mum. I remember watching badgers over the fence and feeding the badgers. And we used to go out and collect bits and pieces and come home and stick them on paper. And um, I just remember that with so much sort of love and affection. You know, I, I just sort of always loved being outside. Then when we, we moved from there, we had, a, again, quite a large garden and my mum used to grow fruit and vegetables we had a, a small orchard sort of flower beds and I used to help a lot out there and really enjoyed that 
sort of rolling on a few years, I trained in environmental conservation. So I used to lead groups going out, planting hedges, hedge laying, cleaning, clearing ponds, planting wildflower meadows, all sorts of different things like that. I was very aware, I remember watching people and just realising just how beneficial it was to so many people and how much they got out of it. The sort of interacting with nature, the being outside, the physical exercise, the volunteering, I suppose, the giving something back. And, and it became really apparent to me just how important that was to people. I went on to study psychology. I did a psychology degree. And after that, I took various courses in things like positive psychology and brief solution-based therapy. Uh, I worked for MIND in various roles, but I always tried to incorporate anything I could that involved nature. So I, took, I set up walking groups and gardening groups, uh, nature-inspired art groups, things like that. From there, I moved to a role in Leicester that was working in a plant nursery that was run by the NHS. So it was, I think it's the only one in the country. Unfortunately, it has now closed. And it was an ama amazing site. It was occupational therapy led and it was open to the public. So it was a sort of realistic work-based setting and patients, clients used to pot up, sow seeds, plant up uh, hanging baskets for customers, look after fruit trees. We had a little allotment there as well. So, so all, the, all the usual sort of horticultural skills, if you like. And um, that was for people who were, some of them were in the, in the community and some of them were, were coming along from a psychiatric hospital near, nearby. And again, it was just so apparent for, for some people, you know, hugely beneficial and really rewarding. I then worked at uh, Bethlehem Psychiatric Hospital, so in South East London, and worked as horticultural instructor there and um, doing horticultural therapy with patients with severe and enduring mental health needs. There was, uh, I maintained a, a walled garden, three orchards and a courtyard garden with the help of patients there. And um, I set up a specific group uh, sort of in, con in conjunction with the John Muir Trust that was more sort of rather than just about gardening it was a little bit more it could bring in all sorts of different aspects so again that incorporated nature inspired art and incorporated things like building bird boxes and hedgehog boxes doing mindfulness in nature writing about your experience journaling nature journaling that sort of thing but very very patient centered and that was absolutely transformational it was amazing to watch the difference that made for people there was somebody who'd come along to the group without much hope but he said all he wanted was to be able to go into a park again he said he, he, he suffered with ptsd and he hadn't been able to enter into the park for years and that was all he wanted and by the second weekend, he'd spent 10 minutes sat in his local park. And by the end, he was just writing the most amazing pieces of poetry and making things out of wood and just exploring nature and so engaging with it. It was amazing. I was working with people with severe um, eating disorders, 
and all sorts of anxiety disorders and forensic patients as well. It was yeah, a lovely, lovely job. I, I, I loved working there. Came to the point where we really didn't want to live in London anymore. My two hour commute in either direction was a bit much. And so I was uh, looking for something else, but it needed to be something pretty amazing to be as good as that job. And, um, and I found Horatio's garden. I'd already heard about them, went and spoke to some of the other head gardeners and, and it seemed like an amazing place to work. Oh, I've missed out, um, I did, um, I, I studied with the RHS to get some horticultural qualifications and I took masters in social and therapeutic horticulture at Coventry University. And that was a, a, an excellent course, learned a lot through that. So I started this job here at Horatio's Garden just as I was doing my dissertation for my master's moving house to, to come up here. So it was uh, a bit much doing all that in one go. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's kind of the route in a long-winded sort of way. What advice would you offer to someone who is really interested in horticultural therapy and, and really wants to explore that area? I think I would um, see if you can find a local uh, somewhere where they're offering such a thing and, and volunteer there, get as much experience doing or shadowing somebody who's doing the role uh, as much as possible. Maybe explore Thrive and the courses that they offer. Unfortunately, uh, Coventry University used to offer a, a really good diploma course and um, as well as the master's. And they're not running either of them at present, which is a real shame. Uh, but I believe that Thrive are going to be offering a diploma course and they do lots of short courses. So I would maybe explore those courses. But yeah, definitely find somewhere that offers something similar and go along and, and, and shadow them as much as possible. It is really rewarding, but there's a lot more to it than just doing gardening with people you know it's it is important that people understand you know everything that goes into it there's a lot of planning and a lot of it's a bit like occupational therapy people look at occupational therapists and think they're just doing some cooking but there's so much planning and you know observation that's going on there to make sure that things are progressing as need be and it's kind of the same with horticultural therapy. So, yeah, you need to sort of find out about the process and look into it. But Are you working on anything at the moment that you are finding really interesting and exciting? So I'm very much hoping to be going to Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, I've never been, but last year, um, last year was to be my first year. Horatio's Garden have a store at Chelsea every year and I was very much looking forward to going to that. I'm also looking forward to uh, the garden being open to the National Garden Scheme. Again, they have been a big funder of the garden and all future gardens. They raise a, a lot of money for different charities. And so we are very proud to be opening to them. Hopefully, if COVID restrictions allow, we'll be opening to them on the 19th of September here. And I think some of the other racist gardens will be as well. So I'm really looking forward to that if that goes ahead and also reopening our garden tours. So we do run tours of the garden for the public. We do charge a small fee for that, obviously, because the gardens are entirely funded by donations. What does the future hold for you, Imogen? Oh, the future. I suppose um, I'm, I'm very, very happy where I am. I'd like to, as much as possible, be involved with kind of advocacy, I think, for horticultural therapy, encouraging people to 
to understand the benefits um, and what it's all about and for healthcare workers to understand the benefits uh, and to ensure that things like social prescribing uh, are successful um, but also the benefits of gardens within hospitals I think you know for everyone people who are in hospital for a long time even short-term patients but anyone who's going to be in hospital for a long time the benefits are just obvious you know you need to have somewhere that people can get outside and and just feel the wind in their faces and, and watch wildlife and see things growing. Um, it just makes so much difference to people. And, and so I think that that needs to be understood, but it also needs to be understood. You can't just plant up a garden and expect it to look after itself. So I think so often within hospitals, you know, they might find enough money to plant up a beautiful garden and then, and then there's, it's never sort of carried on. It's not funded to have somebody looking after it. My dissertation was about um, whether there's a need for a specific outcome measure for horticultural therapy because there's hundreds of different tools that are used and obviously each place where it's being done is it has different reasons you know some people might be working with people who are suffering with depression or other people may be working with people anxiety obviously here we've got um, physical disability as well so there are different outcomes that are going to be essential but it feels that there's something specific to horticultural therapy and I wonder whether we're not quite capturing what that is so I kind of I'm, I'm quite interested in doing a bit more research as well. So you've you've come through from growing up with a garden you've gone through an environmental conservation career you then got into the, the psychology and into horticultural therapy and then kind of into horticulture as well what have been your inspirations? What have, have, have driven you? Have they been episodes um, in your life? Have there been people, events, whatever? I suppose when I was young, it was definitely my mum because of her um, love of, of being outside in nature and gardening and so on. And I learned uh, an awful lot through her. Strangely, I kind of feel like I grew up listening to Bunny Guinness on Gardener's Quest in Time. So <laughs> amazing to be now working on a garden. I work reasonably closely with her as well. She's still very much engaged with the garden. I suppose as time went by, really what's inspired me to be involved with horticultural therapy is really just the patients, the people that I've worked with, the feedback that I get you know, about how much difference it's made to people. I mean, even here, I often work with people who are very much outdoors people anyway. So they come out in the garden because they know they love being outside. And then we do um, mindfulness in nature sessions and they realize this even more. It sort of enhances that connection they've already got. And so being able to sort of draw out even more and help people really build a connection um, is just lovely. And like I say, the feedback that I get um, is really, really moving. And so that's really the inspiration. I've been inspired also by people like Cleve West. He built the first Horatio's garden, but because it's had um, plenty of time to, to mature, it's just a stunning garden, absolutely beautiful. Right, I have a question for you that's a little bit of fun, um, but also I think it's, it's providing us with some interesting feedback from people as well. So you're stuck on a deserted island. What three plants or three horticulturally related items would you take with you? I've got two different answers for this. <laughs> I would take a black mulberry because they are just the most delicious fruit. It's a fantastic, beautiful tree 
that would give loads of shade. If I've only, and if I can only take three plants, they've got to be as, as useful as possible. Um, but they're also coming from a, a horticultural therapist sort of perspective. They need to be providing, I guess, beauty. So I'm going to need something to do and something to watch and some beauty and things that taste really good. So mulberry fits that one. Um, I go with the hazel. So I'm thinking I'm not going to have squirrels to fight with for the nuts. So I might actually get to eat some of the nuts. And again, good for weaving. So I, I'm not a particularly good basket weaver or I've had a few goes and I really enjoy it. I've made a quite a nice um, bird feeder. I would have, I think, um, the Napita that we've got here. Uh, we've got Napita uh, Summer Magic and it's lovely and long flowering. So I think they would be my three plants, but then I would have real concerns about the fact that these clearly aren't native species. So I'm thinking really, I should be only taking with me anything that's native. And then it's like, well, they'd be there anyway. So that's kind of pointless taking any plants with me if they're already there. We need to be on, on a serious note, it's so important that when we stop taking the natural environment for granted and gardeners, have been responsible for um, introducing so many invasive species. So I'm going to take a good ID book with foraging, a good foraging guide, and I'm going to take a good pair of Falco secateurs, and I'm going to take my Donkey Works gardening gloves, which are the most fantastic uh, non-leather tough gardening gloves. So I have one final question for you, and this is, is there anything about you that might surprise people? I had an alternative option. If I hadn't have chosen to be a horticultural therapist, I might have been a dance therapist. So I do Egyptian dance and I, I don't do it so much anymore, to be honest, since being here. But, but previously I used to teach five nights a week and perform at weekends at weddings and parties and so on. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you very much for talking with me today. Very welcome. Lovely to speak to you too. Nice to meet you.